Hi, this is Jim Walden. I'm senior pastor at First Baptist Church in Temple City, California, and this is our podcast. Thanks for joining us. In these challenging days, if you're looking for hope and encouragement, you found a good place. We hope God's Word inspires you, speaks to your heart, and grows your faith. Enjoy the message. Amen. Well, again, I'm so glad to be here with you this morning, and if you would, grab your Bible and your fill-in-the-blank outline, and we're continuing through Revelation. Uh, We are already up to chapter 18. How's that? Oh, okay. I guess I'm excited about it. I don't know if you are. Um, Some of you thought it would take until Jesus returns, right? But we're going to let the kids go right now. So kids, if you want to go to Kid Zone, Zach is in the back with the attack. Uh, So you go ahead and join him for Kid Zone. And moms, dads, grandparents, thanks so much for bringing your kids. And thank you for taking them home. Okay, Uh, I'm grateful that you're here. So we're continuing through the book of Revelation, and now we come to chapter 18. Today is the second Babylon, the second Babylon, and I always like to give you key words to kind of keep on the back burner of your mind as we go through the message, and we're going to come back to these words by the end of the message, and the key words are these, who is the loudest voice in your head? Who is the loudest voice in your head? We know we have a recall election coming up this week, and there's lots of voices out there screaming for their side. We have NFL football really kicking it into high gear today, and we'll look for the Chiefs to get back to the Super Bowl. I know. Sorry, Rams, but look at there. Although if the Rams would like to play us, we'll take you on. There's so much... Well, Chargers, yeah, but, you know, yeah, that's, that's for confession later on, okay, Robert's like, oh, thanks, pal. Yeah, buddy. Um, They do make me afraid. I want you to know that. You got a great QB. Um, There is the media screaming at us of what's going on. There are our phones, our computers, our tablets, our jobs, our neighbors. Who's the loudest voice in your head today? Last week, We looked at Babylon number one, I like to call it, because there's a separation, even though chapter 17 talks about Babylon the Great and chapter 18 talks about Babylon, I believe they are different. The first Babylon is represented by the city of Jerusalem, and we saw last week that it represented apostate religion. Is that false religion? Is that the apostate church? I'm not sure, but that was Babylon number one from last week. Uh, What had John just seen, just to review, in Revelation 17, he said, this title was written on her forehead, Mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of prostitutes and of the abominations of the earth. The chapter ended with this, the woman you saw is the great city that rules over the kings of the earth. Jerusalem is representative of that religion which goes south. So it certainly appears it was either apostate religion or the apostate church. You remember Jesus said in Matthew 24 as he was talking to his disciples about the end times, and I think this is one of the saddest verses in all of scripture concerning the church. Because Jesus, when he talks about love in this verse, talks about the word agape love, the love that God has, and the love that God puts in our heart for him when he said, because of the increase of wickedness, The agape, the love of most, will grow 
cold. Today, I want to look in chapter 18 at what I call Babylon number two. It's not represented by Jerusalem. It's represented by the city of Nineveh. My guess is you've heard of Nineveh. You've heard of Jonah, right? Who was swallowed by the great fish, tried to outrun God. You can't outrun God. Went back and preached to Nineveh, and they repented. But a hundred years later, God was opposed to Nineveh again. I believe Babylon two represents the apostate world economy. So the first one had to do with religion. The second one has to do with economics. Jerusalem, an illustration of spiritual rebellion. Nineveh, a picture of economic corruption. Now, I know I throw a lot of information your way each week. It's like a turbo tour. But I want you to know, Lord willing, before I leave, I'm going to take one message and run through the whole book. I'm going to really confuse you. But I'm going to try to give you an outline as best I can that you take home and wrestle with. Sound good? Both cities share similar characteristics that we will get to today in chapter 18, verse 3. But I'm going to take you back to the Old Testament. And you may say, why do we keep returning to the Old Testament and times past to understand the New Testament and the future? Have you heard people say, well, the Bible's outdated. It's not current. Well, yes, it is. And I want to remind you of two powerful verses An Old Testament prophet, Amos, wrote this. Surely the sovereign Lord does nothing without, say a church, revealing his plan to his servants, the prophets. That's why we look back at the prophets, even in the book of Revelation, in the days when the seventh angel is about to sound his trumpet. The mystery of God will be accomplished, say it, just as he announced to his servants, the prophets. So when you see this on your little fill-in-the-blank outline, That little hand means we're going to go back to one of the prophets. I think I got it a couple times there on your outline. And we're going to look today at Babylon 2, which I believe, according to the prophets, is represented by the city of Nineveh. And Nahum, Nahum, that means comfort, wrote about Nineveh. Nahum 3, verse 1, woe to the city of blood. And look at all the attributes I've highlighted in yellow. Full of lies, full of plunder, never without victims, The crack of whips, the clatter of wheels, galloping horses and jolting chariots, charging cavalry, flashing swords and glittering spears, many casualties, piles of dead bodies without number, people stumbling over the corpses, all because of the countless whorings of the prostitute, alluring, the mistress of sorceries, keep that in mind, who enslaved nations by her prostitution and peoples by her witchcraft. I'm against you, declares Yahweh Zavot. That's Lord Almighty. I will lift your skirts over your face. I will show the nations your nakedness and the kingdoms your shame. I will pelt you with filth. I will treat you with contempt and make you a spectacle. And all who see you will flee from you and say, who? Nineveh is in ruins. Who will mourn for her? We're going to see today who will mourn for her. Where can I find anyone to comfort you? So Babylon 2, we're going to start in chapter 18, verse 1. Probably a good place to start, right, in the first verse. Let's pick it up right there together. John says, after this, after the apostate religion of Jerusalem, I saw another angel coming down from heaven. He had great authority. And the earth was illuminated by his splendor. I'd love to spend more time in that. I don't have the time for it. But imagine one angel illuminating the entire earth. It's always dark somewhere, right? But this angel is so mighty, the light of God's knowledge is going to be known across the earth. 
And with a mighty voice, he shouted, what? Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great, the mega. Fallen, fallen. Remember, in Hebrew, repetition means don't miss this. Just a quick commercial or side note. Never forget 9-11 20 years ago as I sat on the edge of my bed and I watched two towers fallen, fallen. Isn't it ironic that those things represented the economic system of the United States? But here I believe it's referring to two cities, Jerusalem and Nineveh, and the judgment that is to come. Judgment that is to come. Again, just a reminder from last week, Babylon means confusion. And I think it also means confusion by mixing or adding. We talked about that with the adulterous city uh, in church. Uh, uh, but it's, it brings great confusion to the world. What's Nineveh like? What's the economic system of our world like? Well, this economic system is several things. Number one, she's a home for demons. The economic system of the world is a place for demons. It goes on to say she's become a home for demons and a haunt. Haunt just means a dwelling. We talk about haunted houses. Haunt just means to dwell. A haunt for every evil spirit. A haunt for every unclean and detestable bird. By the way, when you read through scripture, look how often the bird is represented, not always, but often representative of Satan in his kingdom. Remember Jesus said when the farmer went to sow his seed in the field, some fell on hard ground. And the seed couldn't get into the hard ground. Why? Because the birds, Satan comes and snatches it away. The economic system of the world is a home for demons. For all the nations have drunk the maddening wine of her adulteries. And the kings of the earth committed adultery with her. And the merchants of the earth grew rich from her excessive luxuries. Compare that with the apostate church we saw from last week in chapter 17. Sounds very similar, right? With her, the kings of the earth committed adultery and the inhabitants of the earth were intoxicated with the wine of her adulteries. She's a home for demon. The economic system of this world is also drunk on adultery. In other words, all the nations get involved. All the nations get drunk on getting rich. And that's the third point. Not only a home for demon, but drunk with riches, but filthy rich at the expense of of others. That's what the world system of economy does. It gets wealthy at the expense of others. How'd she get rich? Let's talk about today's economy. It's by a twofold common practice. And we're going to see it in the prophets again. You see it today, I'm sure. And to get the answer, we need to turn to an, another Old Testament prophet named Zechariah, who had a vision of this corrupt economic system. So our second hand is pointing to Zechariah. Let's go back to that and look at it with revelation of mind. Remember, Amos said God does nothing without revealing it to his servants, the prophets. What did God reveal to Zechariah? Very important, chapter 5. Zechariah writes, I looked again, and there before me was a flying scroll. You've probably heard of flying carpets, but what about a flying scroll? Well, in the Bible, a scroll often is that which is written and declared by the Lord. You get to the book of Revelation. Remember, there's a great scroll. Nobody could open it. And John wept and wept and wept. But then one of the elders said, no, the lamb who was slain, he's worthy to open the scroll. The writings were written on scrolls. So this is what God wants to speak to his people. And the angel asked me, what do you see? Zechariah says, I see a, sign, a, a flying scroll 30 feet long 
and 15 feet wide. Bigger than some of our RVs, huh? Now, why would the Lord give us the dimensions of a flying scroll? You know, we really have so little in Scripture when you think of all the detail God could give us. So whenever we see especially dimensions, there's a reason for it. Well, if you don't understand something in Scripture, answer the following question. Where else can I find it in Scripture? Where else can I find these dimensions? I believe you find them in two places primarily. One in the Old Testament is this is the size of Solomon's porch at the temple where Jesus taught. Often you'll read in the scriptures that Jesus was in Solomon's porch teaching out in the courtyards. Uh, You can find these dimensions of Solomon's porch one place in the Bible. There's many others, like 2 Chronicles 3, verse 4. Oh, it'll put it in cubits. Our translators put it in feet. Cubit is roughly, you know, elbow to fingertip, maybe 18 inches. But... Our translators put it in feet. It also was the size of the area inside the temple itself, representing God's presence and worshiping him. Uh, You find that dimension when Solomon builds the temple in 1 Kings 6, verse 20. So where Jesus taught and where God is, is what the scroll represents. And the angel said to Zechariah, this is the curse that is going out over what? The whole land. And what's the scroll? Well, the scroll has two sides, just like there's two sides to any issue, there's two sides to any coin. What are the two sides? According to what it says on one side, here's the one side, every thief will be banished. He's talking about the economic system here. And according to what it says on the other side, the flip side is, everyone who lies, most translations say swears falsely. But what do we call it when you swear falsely? It's a lie. It's going to be banished and cut off. And you've seen this. This is much of how our economic system or the world operates. They lie and they steal. The two sides of the world's economic, corrupt economic system is theft and lies. How many times have you been ripped off? How many times have you been lied to about a product? I never forget one Christmas, Dion and Gabe got me these rotating paddles that you put on the floor, and they have grips on the bottom. And when you do a push-up, they rotate. So when you push up, rotate. So you're not just working your biceps, but your shoulders. And the guy on the front of the box looks like Hercules. And I was so excited when I got these because I thought, that's what I'm going to look like. Liars, how many times have you seen a sandwich on a billboard and you go into the restaurant and it looks like, how many times you open a bag of chips and the bag looks full, but when you open it and they lie, contents may have settled. Yeah, like right here too, you know. The world system is about thieving and lying. Zechariah 5 verse 4. The Lord Almighty declares, I will send it the scroll out and it will enter the house of the thief and into the house of him who swears falsely by my name. And it will remain in this house and destroy it. God says there's coming an end to the wicked, corrupt economic system of the world. I'll destroy the entire building of the system, its timbers and its stones. Again, God's word is represented by the flying scroll over the entire earth and the judgment to come. Jesus even said judgment is coming. 
He said in John 12, now's the time for judgment on this world. And now the prince of this world and who runs this system will be driven out. Zechariah 5, 5. Then the angel who was speaking to me came forward and said to me, look up and see this that is appearing. This is going to help us interpret Revelation 18. I asked, what is it? He replied, it's a measuring basket. Now, for us Westerners, most translators translate it measuring basket. But in the Hebrew, it's the word ephah. If you've read through the Old Testament, you remember reading about a measuring device called an ephah? It often was a part of a basket. It's how they would measure out grain and things like that in sales. But he said, there's a measuring basket. There's an ephah. And he added, this what you see, Zechariah, is the iniquity of the people throughout the entire land. Because friends, in the Old Testament, the ephah, the measuring basket, represented the Lord wanted honest measurement. He wanted honest measurement. Not cheating, not thieving. Honest measurement. Let's look at some of the Old Testament verses about this. In Leviticus, the Lord said to Israel, use, say a church, what kind of scales? And what type of weights? And an honest, and an honest hen, another measuring device. I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. In Amos, the prophet Amos, Israel was saying to the Lord, and the Lord was pretty upset about it, when will the new moon be over that we may sell grain and the Sabbath, because they weren't supposed to work on the Sabbath. Let's just get through these days so that we may market wheat. What are we going to do? Skimping the measure, boosting the price, and cheating with dishonest scales. There's the world system right there, gang. Getting wealthy at the expense of others. Cheating and stealing. So he sees this ephah coming down, which is like a basket. Verse 7. The cover of lead was raised. There's a lead cover on it, very heavy. And there in the basket sat what? She represents the economic system. Remember, this is not the scarlet woman last week that was sitting and riding the beast. This is another woman in a basket, an ephah, and she's for the marketplace. He said, her name's wickedness. In the Hebrew, it literally means wrong, especially morally. And the angel pushed her back into the basket and pushed the lead cover down over its mouth. So Zacharias introduced to this immoral woman in an ephah, in a measuring basket, and she's going to set up shop somewhere. Goes on to say, I looked up, and there before me were two women with the wind in their wings. They had the wings like those of a stork, and they lifted up the basket between the heaven and the earth. Where are they taking the basket, the ephah? I asked the angel who was speaking to me. He replied, you want to take a wild guess? Babylon. To build a house for it. Because why does anybody build a house? Because there you're going to what? Live and do business. And when it's ready, the basket will be set there in its place. Just a reminder. This is all going on during the Great Tribulation when Babylon's in control, or Satan is controlling the whore of Babylon. At the end of the seven years of tribulation, now we'll go back to Revelation 18. So I hope that Zechariah 5 helped you understand the wicked economic system of lies and theft. Now we'll go back to John. John said, I heard another voice from heaven say, come out of her, my people. 
so that you will not share in her sins. You will not receive any of her plagues. This is the end of the tribulation when God will bring his wrath. And I believe this might be the shout. This might be the shout, church. This is probably when we get out of here. Paul talked about it to the Thessalonian church. Brothers and sisters, we don't want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died. He rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep with him. According to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left till the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with what? I think it's what he's saying in the revelation. Come out of her. Come on. Here we go. With the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet call of God. I believe that's the seventh trumpet at the end of the seven years of tribulation. And the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. So therefore, encourage each other with these words. When God is ready to deal with this wicked economic system, he will pull the church out. Let's go back to Revelation 18 just because of time. Why? Because this wicked economic system called Babylon, her sins are piled up to heaven and God has remembered her crimes. This means the world and its system will now be judged. And isn't it great? The church won't be. Because church, you tell me, where was our judgment taking place at? The cross of Jesus Christ. That's where our sins were cared for. But when the world refuses to turn to God, God will judge them. He will say, give back to her as she's given back. Pay her back double for what she's done. Mix her a double portion from her own cup. In other words, God's just. Listen, you've been ripped off. God's just. He'll make it right. Leave room for the Lord. Don't you take vengeance. God says, vengeance is mine. I will repay, but this is the time when it comes. And God is reminding the world, and I think he wants to remind us too, of one of life's greatest principles. And that is, we reap what? What we sow. And it's gonna happen to the world. Think about that today. You reap what you sow. Who are you sowing for today? The Lord Jesus who redeemed you and saved you? Or for this world? Okay, got to move on. Next, we get a glimpse into the mind and soul of this woman. Give her as much torture and grief as the glory and luxury she gave herself. We saw her in Zechariah 5, and now she's exhibited as Nineveh. Because in her heart, she says three things. Look at this arrogance. I sit as what? Mm -hmm. I'm not a widow. And I will never what? Talk about thumbing your nose in God's face. Hey, by the way, can I just remember, remind you? I'm queen. I'm not a widow. I will never mourn. Be careful when most or all of your sentences begin with yourself. I love the cartoon of the two guys standing there. One guy looks desperately bored. And you can tell in this one caption cartoon, the one guy's been talking the whole time, kind of like a preacher. And he says to the guy, hey, enough about me. Let's talk about you. What do you think about me? <laughs> Church, let's watch our conversation. How much of our conversation is about other stuff than Jesus? How much is it about us or the thems? 
How much of it is about Jesus? Because the Lord says, if you want to fear me, remember Proverbs says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. God says, you want to fear me? I want you to hate evil. You want to know what God says evil is? Look at the rest of this verse. He says, I hate what? Pride, that's her. Arrogance, that's her. Evil behavior, that's her. And perverse speech. Let's go on, verse eight. Therefore, in one day, her plagues will overtake her. She'll mourn. There'll be death, mourning, and famine. She'll be consumed by fire. For mighty is the Lord God who judges her. Who's going to mourn for Babylon? Three groups real quickly. By the way, remember this. When the scarlet whore was taken out last week, nobody mourned for her. But the world is going to mourn for its loss of luxury. Who's going to mourn? First, John says political leaders. We're going to see the political leaders of the world come unglued. Verse 9, when the kings of the earth who committed adultery with her and shared her luxury see the smoke of her burning, they will weep and mourn over her. Terrified at her torment, they'll stand far off and they will cry, whoa, whoa. You see that double repetition? You know how some translators in the Hebrew translate the word woe? Damn. Oh, great city, oh, Babylon, city of power. Three times, three times they're going to say, in one hour, God will bring it that swiftly. In one hour, your doom has come. Political leaders will mourn. Who else will mourn? Corrupt businessmen and women, right? <laughs> because they're a part of the wicked economic system. Verse 11, the merchants of the earth will weep and mourn over her because no one buys their cargoes anymore. Cargoes of gold, silver. See, this is what matters to them. Precious stones, pearls, fine linen, purple, silk, and scarlet cloth. Every sort of citron wood. Articles of every kind made of ivory. Costly wood, bronze, iron, marble. Cargoes of cinnamon and spice, of incense, myrrh, frankincense, wine, olive oil, fine flour, wheat, cattle, sheep, horses, and carriages. And look at the last one, gang the bodies and the souls of men that were sold for her. Here's the worst of all materialism and profit at the expense of the bodies and souls of men and women. They'll say the fruit you long for is gone from you, Babylon. All your riches and splendor have vanished, never to be recovered. The merchants who sold these things and gained their wealth from her will stand far off, terrified at her torment, they will weep and mourn and cry out, Whoa, whoa, oh great city, dressed in fine linen, purple and scarlet, glittering with gold, precious stones and pearls. The political leaders will implode on this. The merchants will implode on it. Who else is going to mourn her? Those who transported, those who are in the distribution of all the wealth. Verse 17, in one hour, here it is again, such great wealth has been brought to ruin Every sea captain, all who traveled by ship, the sailors, and all who earned their living from the sea, they'll stand far off, and when they see the smoke of her burning, they'll exclaim, was there ever a city like this great city? And they'll throw dust on their heads, and with weeping and mourning, they'll cry out a third time, whoa, whoa, a third time, in one hour. Oh, great city where all who had ships on the sea became rich through her wealth. In one hour, she's been brought to ruin. Here's an interesting verse, verse 20 that gets thrown in. 
Wow. Rejoice over her, O heaven. Rejoice, saints and apostles and prophets. God has judged her for the way she treated you. God's going to make it all right. God's going to make it all right. And then a mighty angel picked up a boulder the size of a huge millstone and threw it into the sea. Now, what's this about? Well, judgment in the seas is because the seas represent all of the nations. Because all the nations are surrounded by the seas. Remember back in verse 3, it said, all the nations. A huge millstone thrown into the sea, and the angel said, with such violence, the great city of Babylon will be thrown down, never to be found again. The music of harpists and musicians, flute players and trumpeters and worship bands will never be heard in you again. No workman of any trade will ever be found in you again. The light of a lamp will never shine in you again. The voice of the bridegroom and the bride will never be heard in you again. Your merchants were the world's great men. And here's the end of this verse. Check this out. The coup de grace, I may say. It says the end of the verse, by your magic spell, all the nations were led astray by this wicked economic system. Buckle up. You all ready for this one? Magic spell. You see how it's translated in the NIV? Do you know what will and is one of the greatest weapons used by Satan and those in power? One of the great weapons used by Satan is drug abuse. By your magic spell, all the nations were led astray. Magic spells the Greek word pharmakeia. Does that look familiar? What word do we get from that? Pharmacy or drugs. And one of the great plagues caused by man and demons is predicted in Revelation, Revelation is drug abuse. And when I look at the opioid addiction... When I look at all the drug abuse, drugs aren't bad, right? By proper medical staff, good. Abused by the world? I looked at Andrea because she's a nurse. Don't, I'm not saying she's a drug addict. Like that. Everyone's like, why did he point at Andrea? What's she doing with all the drugs at Arcadia Methodist? But it's even predicted. You see what's going on in our world? Paul talked about in Galatians 5, the acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry. You see it there, witchcraft? I'll come back to it. Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, enviness, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. Witchcraft there is actually, again, the Greek word pharmakeia. Because when they would worship demons, they would get people either intoxicated or controlled by drugs to allow the spirits access to their soul. You ever notice how many times on stores that just sell alcohol, it says wines and spirits? And don't get me wrong, I'm not against drugs, I'm not against drinking. But you know what Satan likes to do? Abuse it. For some people today, it's the loudest voice in their head. For some people today, money and success is the loudest voice in their head. For some people, it's power and popularity. For some, it's pleasure, excessive luxury. And Paul talked about it and John talked about it, the exact same word, pharmakeia. Meaning the world's economic system is truly in concert with demonic influence. That's why it's not just. 
Verse 24, in Babylon was found the blood of the prophets and of the saints and all who had been killed on the earth. Can I give you a quick recap? Sure I can. I'm the one preaching. Redundant questions are crazy, aren't they? Let's recap what we've seen just in the last two weeks. Y'all ready? Adultery, arrogance, cheating, corruption, deception, demonic influence, drug abuse, fornication, greed, intoxication, drunkenness, lying, materialism, murder, power, scandal, theft, violence, wealth, riches, and splendor. Sound like today? We're not far, gang. How far are we? I don't know. God has not given me that timeline of that measuring stick. But I tell you what, we are racing towards the end. And this economic system is the call of the world and the evil one screaming out for you and me to get caught up in all of this and not the kingdom of Jesus. Getting caught up in this that hopefully money soothes our soul or drugs soothe our soul or success soothe our soul or power or possessions. Who is the loudest voice in your head today? Who do you listen to? Who's got your attention? And here's my great concern. The world is just screaming, isn't it? The the world is just loud. Would you agree with me for the most part? Our world, especially America, is very uncomfortable with silence. We like lots of noise, right? If you don't believe me, go to a Harley convention. Go to a concert. Go to a ball game. Go to a store. Can you go to a restaurant today without a TV blaring at you? God bless the restaurants that don't have a TV. Do you listen to your own nature? Look what Paul says about our nature. When we were controlled by the sinful nature, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our bodies so that we bore fruit for death. And the mind of sinful man and woman is death, but the mind controlled by the spirit is what? See that last word? You think that's what we need today? The sinful mind, my sinful mind, your sinful mind, it's hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. And those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. Paul says, if you've come to Jesus, listen, you, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, if the Spirit of God lives in you. I got a question for you. I I can't answer it for you. I can't say, well, the Spirit of God lives in Jeremy, but not in my neighbor, (laughs) which I think he does because you're wonderful to be on in me. And the Spirit of God lives in your mom, but not in Bob. I can't say that. You and the Lord can say whether the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he doesn't belong to Christ. In other words, this won't make sense to you. I'm going to jump to verse 14. Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons, are daughters, are children of God. And I just got a question for you today. With this crazy world yelling and screaming, what's the loudest voice in your head? I don't want it to be your pastor. You know, sometimes I really get riled up. Every once in a while, Deanna goes, man, you really got preaching today. That's code for you were really loud. 
Right, Deanna? Sometimes I get preaching at home, don't I? Save it for Sunday. She says, just save it for Sunday. Who is the church of Jesus Christ listening to? I know a lot of churches just up in arms about politics and just, and hey, there's a rightful place for Christians to be involved in politics, isn't there? But for some churches, I think that, that's become the mantra. When we've been given the good news of Jesus Christ, the people's sins can be forgiven. They can have peace with God and have God live in them and control their lives and bring joy, peace, patience, kindness. With all that's coming, I just need to ask you, are you a child of God? Does the Spirit of God, are, are you learning? Listen, I don't listen to the Spirit of God as I ought to all the time. I'm still learning. How about this? In your business, are you listening to the Spirit of God? Or trying to figure out how to make more money? Cheat wages, cheat people, steal from them. Are you led by his voice? Please remember this. The Lord wants you and me to be still. Remember Elijah had Jezebel screaming in his ear since he defeated the false prophets. Jezebel, the wicked woman, said, by tomorrow you're a dead man. And he ran, fearing for his life. All he could hear was Jezebel. You're a dead man. You're a dead man. You're a dead man. He runs into the wilderness, runs away from his ministry, runs away from everybody. And God says, what are you doing here? Oh, I just want to die. The Lord said, you go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord. Look at this line. For the Lord is about to pass by. You know, the Lord is here today. He doesn't want to pass by yet, but he wants to make his presence known. Jesus said, if even two or three gather my name, I'm in their midst. Jesus is here right now speaking to you. What did Elijah hear when God was going to pass by? Well, the first thing that passed by was a, a wind, a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart. Can you tell me how strong a wind is to tear a mountain apart? Can you hear that? It shattered the rocks before the Lord. But look at this. The Lord wasn't screaming in the wind. After the wind, with all those shattered rocks, then there was an earthquake. You imagine what that sounded like? But God wasn't in the noise of the earthquake or the howling wind. After the earthquake came a fire. You guys have heard the roar of a fire, haven't you? But the Lord wasn't blaring through the fire. After the fire, there came what? A still, small voice, a gentle whisper. In Psalm 48, God says, come and see the works of the Lord, the desolations he's brought on the earth, <clears throat> and he's going to make wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow, shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. And then he says what? To hear God's voice, you've got to be still. And no, he's God. Then he says this, because I will be exalted or noticeable or lifted up or center stage among the nations. I'll be exalted in the earth. 
Is he exalted in your life by having the right to speak to you? Is he the loudest voice in your head? Because let me tell you something. What comes next in Revelation 19 is fabulous. Open book. Go ahead and read it before next Sunday. Fabulous. On our 80th anniversary, we're going to look at the four times the Bible says, praise God, praise God, hallelujah, hallelujah. If you're able, would you stand with me for closing prayer? Father, we live in a world, we all know it, where so many voices are screaming at us to go the way of the world. Salesmen get on TV and scream, Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. Or clearance sailor, don't miss this. The world and its possessions and its luxuries are screaming out for our attention. Politics is screaming out for our attention. Success is screaming out for our attention. And so many are screaming, I want it my way. But Lord, holy God, in a still small voice, when we're willing to quiet ourselves, you're calling out to us saying, be still. Let me be God. Let me be exalted in your life. If I can take care of your sins, I can take care of you. Father, I want to ask several things. If someone here has yet not given their life to you right now, they would. They would just say something to this effect in their heart. They say, Lord, I hear you. I've been listening to a lot of other voices, including my own. But I want to lay down my life to you. Lord, I'll give you my life. I'll give you my heart, my soul. I'll live for you alone. Every breath that I take, every moment I'm awake, Lord, have your way in me. And thank you, Father, that even if somebody online or anyone in this room turns to you, you will in no way cast them out. You will draw them in and be good to them. And Father, I ask that we would walk in what you call righteousness. We would not be liars. We would, not, we would never be thieves. We would speak the truth with grace. And we would not be takers but givers to a world that needs to know your good news. Father, we would even give invitations next week to come back for Danny Ray. The people's eternity could be changed. They can know hope. Holy Spirit, you lean into my life and you say whatever you want to say. And we offer ourselves to you. Right, church? We offer ourselves to you. Let us be a light that the world can hear you through our example. And I look forward to what you're going to do. In Jesus' name, we all say, can I just thank you for Sitting in the air conditioning, a little better this time, huh? And now I get to do something that wasn't easy to do, but I'm going to start doing it again. As I walk out, I just want to bless you. As you listen to God's voice, 
as you allow him to be the loudest voice in your head, not the world. May the Lord bless you and keep you. And may the Lord cause his face to shine upon you, to be gracious unto you. And as he lifts up his countenance, oh, may almighty God grant you his peace. God bless you, church. Thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed our podcast, you can subscribe and share with your friends. To support our ministry, go and click the link in the description to give online. To connect with us, to know more about who we are, or if you have a prayer request, go to our website at templecitybaptist.org. We would love to hear from you. May God bless you. See you next week.